Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week of athletics. The NBA is back. Seems a little soon to be saying that, but they are back and rolling. We got to see our Los Angeles Lakers have their championship rings presented to start the season. Not too shabby, to say the least. The NFL presses on closer and closer to the postseason. Fantasy football fans have their championships coming up this weekend, hoping the teams don't sit their stars. And we have the college football playoff Final four. But before we get all into that, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to your son. I'm sure he's an avid listener of our program. If not, maybe wishing him a Merry Christmas. We'll get him to tune in this week. But before we get started, Merry Christmas to our listeners as well. It's been the craziest of years for everyone involved at so many different levels. We're just fortunate enough to be able to do a show like this, try to have some fun one hour a week, and hopefully bring you guys some knowledge, some new and old knowledge, some laughs along the way. But we can't start the show without at least thanking you all for listening and wishing you and yours a happy holidays, a Merry Christmas. Yes, thank to all of our uh you know, our, our listeners, and of course, to you and your family, it's been uh, absolutely a brutal year in so many ways. Uh, you know, personally for me, obviously losing my mom and, and so many people who've lost relatives and friends to the virus um, and all those who are still suffering from it. And not just from a physical standpoint, what's happened to so many of us from a mental standpoint. So many people have lost their jobs, their businesses, their livelihoods all around this country in the tri-state area where we are. Uh, it's been for the last nine months just as brutal a stretch as we've been in in my memory. And then from a, a sports point of view, we've lost an incredible amount of stars that we all know. And so many of us followed over the years, obviously starting with the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter. And those folks that he was very close to uh, on that helicopter that were going to the game, her teammates, uh, his coaches, parents, just uh, a gut-wrenching loss for anybody and everybody because they perished far too soon. And we lost a giant as Laker fans. We lost uh, a player that we loved as a player and a young man who was just hitting the prime of his life as a father and going on into the multitude of endeavors, an Academy Award winner in his first step out of the basketball arena and coaching his daughter and, and girls, uh, young girls, and becoming a mentor to so many and a role model uh, to so many and losing him the way we lost him, not to mention what he left behind in terms of obviously his wife and three other daughters. And then just countless professional athletes of all sports that we grew up with had passed uh, just, I mean, my two all-time favorite players from the Cardinals, Lou Brock and Bob Gibson, you know, passed within you know, a month of each other. Tom Seaver, you know, Whitey Ford, the, the great Kansas comic, Gail Sayers, the list goes on and on and on and on throughout this year, which has just been the worst year in memory uh, that I can think of for so many reasons. Personally, fortunately, my livelihood's still A-OK. Uh, my beautiful son and his mom both still A-OK. But it's been a brutal year for so many people, and we hope we helped get them through it. 
and hopefully better things are on the rise. Certainly January 20th is going to be a great start to return to democracy. Uh, and this country can stop being in chaos, which it's been for the last four years, and hopefully a return to what is actual normalcy, because America has spoken. And finally, uh, the White House is no longer the outhouse. And come January 20th, it's moving day. The light is certainly getting closer and closer at the end of the tunnel, though it is incredibly faint still yet. So we cross our fingers that we can manage the next couple months and maybe get to a better place in the world by the middle of next year. And we'll move on from those opening. See what the impact, see how soon the vaccine starts taking impact, positive impact. That's what we've been waiting for. It's what we've been hoping for. It's been praying for It's here. It's being rolled out. And we all hope that this will be the beginning of the end. That's right. To sports. Since this is a, sports podcast and the biggest story coming from the weekend, not necessarily being as shocking of a story as maybe some people wanted as the final four for the college football playoff were announced. And to no surprise, if you really think about it, the four teams that were started this all were the top four end up being the final four in Alabama Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame changing some positioning, as you'll notice me saying it there, as Ohio State jumps Notre Dame, who got their ass handed to them by Clemson. I picked Clemson to win. I expected Clemson to win. I didn't expect the game to go like that and be so much of a blowout really early in the game. By the half, it was pretty much over for Notre Dame, unfortunately for them which of course got people saying how much can Notre Dame lose by and still make the college football playoff. I really think the second half saved their playoff hopes. I believe if they lost that game 51 to three, I think Texas A&M gets to that. I truly believe that 34 to three at the half. Uh, I think what was it? What was it? 20, 24 to three, 24 to three at the half, 24 to three quickly in the third quarter. But the defense did a much better job in the second half. They got their touchdown, their garbage touchdown. And, and I truly believe that kept them in the playoff hunt. I think if they had gotten blown out in the second half, the way they got blown out in the first half, that they would have been on the outside looking in. Because it would have been same old, same old. They don't belong on the same field. Look what happened. Biggest game of the year, blown out of the building, never really competed. And sorry, we've got too many other teams here who got a vested interest who didn't have a loss on their resume at the end of the season in the biggest game of the year like that. Now, granted, A&M got popped by Alabama, but early in the season, and Alabama is clearly the best team. So what you really start to wonder now is, are we even going to have a competitive playoff? Because you have Notre Dame in there again. They've never competed in this game. And in the meantime, who do you have with them? You have an Ohio State team that's played six games, hasn't played very well, and you know, they're the four seed because you couldn't put Clemson and Notre Dame playing again at the two-three spot. So you know, Ohio State's where they belong, or excuse me, Ohio State jumps up to the three spot, but with only six wins. So you know, what in the world leads us to believe that they are going to be able you know, to compete? With a Clemson team that blew them out last year and is maybe not quite as good, but Ohio State's not as good as they were last year either. And they've been you know, debilitated by the virus. Justin Fields hasn't looked very good. There isn't nearly as much time because of the shortened season with it starting later 
as there has been in the past to get ready for the playoff, which actually is the silver lining to the cloud. None of this one-month preparation. We're going right to it. There's not going to be this big delay that everybody always complains about. So these are the four teams we expected. They may be the four teams that had the best personnel, arguably. Are they the four most deserving? I don't think so. Uh, I would much rather see A&M in there over Ohio State because Ohio State played their six games. They weren't that impressive. Granted, A&M was on the weak side of the SEC, if there is such a thing, and the best team they played was Alabama, and they got smoked. They did beat Florida, uh, who was a pretty darn good team, but that is really their best win. So the question becomes, are these the best four? You can argue it a lot of different ways. Jimbo Fisher, you know, argued the way he always does with passion and, and quickly <laughs> with getting more words in per minute than I think even I could. So credit to Jimbo. He stood up for his guys. But I, I truly believe, if not for that respectable second half from Notre Dame, they're not in this postseason. I think, you know, 51 to 10, 49 to 3, they're home. But they had their full season and they beat everybody they played. And most notably, they beat Clemson. And that gets them in because the second time around, they didn't get killed by Clemson. Right. And after the loss, it was almost like you could argue for both Notre Dame and Texas A&M and almost give them similar resumes where you could argue either one. Would be a, that would be a great game. Oh, yeah. I think Notre Dame-Texas A&M would be a tremendous game. I also think another great game, uh, which we're not going to see and I would love to see, would be uh, Oklahoma and Texas A&M. I think those would be two terrific games. Uh, but I would love to see A&M play Notre Dame. I think that would be a great game. I think what helped Notre Dame as well, if you make the argument that they had similar resumes, is that they were already in the top four and had been since the start. It was almost like in football when a play goes under review, you need that evidence. It has to be evidence where you could overturn a call. And you really didn't get that to safely say that they didn't deserve to be in to take them out for Texas A&M conclusive evidence wasn't there. So I think them already being in the top four helped them not be overtaken slash taken out. Now we'll see if they can do anything against Alabama. I believe the spread is upward of three touchdowns, if I remember correctly. And that might be exactly where it should be which you wouldn't necessarily expect from a 1-4 game. But as we've said on this show previously, 1-4 matchups, they're blowouts. Right. This Why wouldn't should be, this any, be any different. different. And, and how much better, as we said on this show before, and as, as we know, I have always been the proponent of four is enough, unlike eight is enough, uh, a show from you know my younger days, which you've never heard of. But uh, I thought four was perfect, and it's not anymore. It's not anymore because this is the perfect year, this year of the asterisk, where six would be so much better. How much, how great would it be to see Ohio State at number three playing Cincinnati at number six and Notre Dame at number four playing A&M at number five? How much better would that be? You'd get two really fun I think competitive, interesting games that would take you to the real semis. So at least we get two good, I think, two good games out of it. Now, I don't anticipate we're going to have a good game. Hopefully, we'll get one until the last game. Because I think both the first two games will be dogs. I think Alabama will obliterate Notre Dame. You know, 49 to 14. And Clemson will walk all over Ohio State, just like they did last year. I said, Justin Fields is a wonderful athlete. He's not that good a quarterback. He's not that good a thrower. He doesn't read defenses that well. 
He's got a great skill set in terms of athleticism and his arm strength. And he looks great as an athlete, but he's not that prolific a thrower by any means. He can run, but he's not a, a he's not a Lamar Jackson type runner. He's an effective runner, but he's not a prolific runner. And this Clemson defense is now healthy and much better than it was when they lost to Notre Dame. You know, they dominated the Notre Dame offense. They dominated the Notre Dame offensive line which was surprising because that's the strength of that Notre Dame team is that offensive line. And they had their heads handed to them for the better part of that game. Uh, their quarterback was you know, doing his Ben Gazzara impression running for his life. So I, I really believe that Clemson is uh, a step up and outclasses Ohio State. And we know that Alabama does, Alabama does that to Notre Dame. So you know, Clemson and Alabama, one more time. That's what I think it's going to be. And we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But it would be much nicer if the semis could have found a way to be more competitive. And you know, I, I really think had they gone to six this year, it, it would have been better for the fans. It would have been more fun to watch. It would have given teams who, who really worked hard, that struggled with the virus, and had to deal with a hideous situation, you know, a chance to – I mean, you've got four teams, and yet you've got five major conferences in Notre Dame. So it doesn't fit. On that equation alone, why not six? This was a tough year to not have it be six or eight, whatever they wanted to do. And we've talked about it for weeks about this would have been the year to try that out, the asterisk year, because the frustration comes from a lot of people, understandably so, after the four teams, after the top four, where you have Cincinnati down at eight, and you have a three-loss Florida team ahead of them. Really? Which is a joke. Which is a joke. Really? Florida get, Florida loses to LSU, who we love. We love. We love that Coach O's team went out and competed with half a team between the virus and guys who left and you know, put themselves on probation because, you know, as it always does, Odell Beckham Jr. Find, found a way to make himself the center of attention. Okay, and of course, you know, guys team on Self-imposed probation. This is throwing around hundred-dollar bills. So you know, th- this is you know, was not an LSU team that we thought would compete, and, and Florida loses to them. So how do you only how, how do you drop a slot? How do you drop one slot by losing to LSU, who wasn't even a five hundred team? And in the meantime, you know, Cincinnati can't can't get by. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But with all due respect to the SEC. That, that the committee this year did an absolutely brutal job. Absolutely brutal job. They gave nothing to, I don't want to say the little guy, but they gave nothing to you know, the teams outside of the big group. Which to me, what's the purpose? You know, we might as well just go back to the computer. We might as well just go back to the computer. Because what they did was just give us the four biggest programs. Right. That look the they best. Nece- they, didn't, they didn't necessarily give us the four most deserving teams, you know, or the four teams that even had the best seasons. I, I mean, Ohio State went six and all. What was so great about Ohio State's season? Their last game ends up being against a very good defense in Northwestern, but they don't look good at all. You already talked about Justin Fields. He didn't have a great game. He had to hand it off to a gentleman with the last name Sermon who preached all over Northwestern's defense and rushed for the most yard, was breaking records left and right. All you had to do was hand him the ball. Let him do his thing. Northwestern, put a body on the guy, man. Stack the box. Do something. But in this year, you're looking at Teams like Cincinnati, teams like Coastal Carolina, who also went undefeated at 11 and 0, and they're asking themselves, what do we have to do? How much better of a season could we have had for us to get recognized? We crossed off all the boxes. Coastal beat a couple top 25 teams. And I understand that they're not in the power five. I get it. But after the top four, who gives a shit where you put some of these teams? 
to look everybody in the face and say Florida is seventh and make an argument that Ohio State, again, Iowa State, I should say, again, a three-loss team is better than Indiana, say, who just have one loss to the third best team in the country. They get screwed. And Coastal's looking up at Iowa State, again, thinking, how are we not comparable to this team? After the top four this year, it was an absolute disaster. And they roll Gary Barta out there and he smirks his way through whatever questions they ask him and doesn't give you any answers that you're looking for. Honest answers. Every year this happens and you just shake your head at how we go about the college football playoff. The four best teams make it most likely. Are we going to enjoy watching those two games? Absolutely. Would it maybe be hard on the eyes watching Cincinnati play a Clemson and lose by 60? Probably. But you're making different arguments and different points to just back up what you think should happen if you're the committee and everyone's looking at you like, dude, we're watching the games too. We know what you've said in the past. We know what you're saying now. Like you're, you're not fooling us. That's the disappointing part of this year where if you look down the road and all these teams do the exact same, I mean, we've said it. This was the year to make those teams relevant. Cincinnati goes undefeated next year and it's a full season. They have no shot, none, because one team will have one loss, but they'll say, well, they played 12 games and it was to the number one team in the country. This was the year to do it where you could say, look, we played nine games. We're coastal. We played 11 games. Look who we beat. Everybody else did it. Baseball let more in. The NBA had the, the increased playing, so to speak, in the bubble. Right? The NFL expanded the number of playoff teams, even though their season was completely normal in terms of the number of games, everybody playing the full season. You know, but everybody else adapted. What does the committee do? Nothing. And also remember, these are kids. Why not this year when they lost games, give kids a chance to play more games when it's kids who most of them will never play again? But now, now four teams, usual four, big four, doesn't matter how many games you play, doesn't matter how, how tough your schedule was, as long as you were in that, one of those big groups. All right, you're in. And the Ohio State being in at 6-0, it's embarrassing. You know, they, they didn't play that well all year long. You know, they won the Big Ten after they changed the rules by getting in with less than six wins. Then they beat you know the journalists after barely getting by the Indiana Hoosiers. And you know, they're in at 6-0. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Not only that, they, they're third. They're third in the country. Well, they they had to be third. They had to be third. You can't give us Cle- you can't give us Clemson and Notre Dame for a third time. Oh, but Al, they don't make the decisions based on the of matchups. Of course, they had they had no choice. They make them based on the teams. They would never do such a thing. They had to. You know, they had to. You're the ACC guy. That you you can't have Clemson Notre Dame for a third time. You just can't do it. Nobody's going to watch. No, no, nobody's a, a Notre. The, the only people going to watch are Notre Dame and Clemson alums. That's it. You know, simply a, a, a pathetic job by the entire NCAA and the committee. This was the year to be innovative. This was the year to give something new a chance. Nope. Same old, same old. And if so what people like with, you. What are we stuck with? Two blowouts. Have people like you. Get on the side of the college football fans. They could have made so many fans of the college football committee if they did those things. But instead, another year where everyone hates them. Everyone hates that there's something on the books that prevented Army from being in a bowl game, but allowed South Carolina, two and eight South Carolina at that, to be in their bowl spot because, oh, this or that, we couldn't have Army in. Now, thankfully, someone decided to play Army. West Virginia stepped up to the plate and said, Let's play this team. These dudes are going to go serve our country, put their lives on the line. You won't give them a damn bowl game. 
but you give one in South Carolina two and eight and they can't play. They opted out because they're riddled with coronavirus. Every day there's just more stupid. Thankfully, that'll be erased once the games are played, the final two games. But if you take a step back and think about it, it was just stupid. Stupid everywhere. They end too much sense to do it our way. Yeah. Why would you? Much more fun, much more intrigue. Come on, Cincinnati against Ohio State? Come on. Battle for the state rivalry. Come on. Yeah. Let's watch that. Bragging rights. AM and Notre Dame. Game I'd love to see. Two incredible evenly matched teams. Jimbo against Kelly. SEC against ACC slash independent. Teams very similar to each other in terms of quality, caliber, etc. Let me watch that. Speaking of college, speaking of football, combining both, talking about the NFL, the biggest story of the weekend, unfortunately, does not become some of the playoff races, maybe even the MVP discussion. It becomes... How did the Jets beat the Rams, comma, why did the Jets beat the Rams, exclamation point. Very unfortunate to be a New York Jets fan. I mean, why is this night different than any other night? Speaking of New York Jets fans, but how disappointing it has to be for them spending really the entire season invested in losing to ensure Drafting Clemson's Trevor Lawrence. Instead, the Rams play like garbage and end up losing by a touchdown to the Jets, who I can't blame the players for wanting to win, especially Sam Darnold. I'm not letting this dude take my job. You're not drafting this guy. I'm your quarterback. Screw him. I'm going out here and slinging it. It's disappointing for Jets fans, and it also opens your eyes up to this way of drafting the NBA. As we know, you cross your fingers and hope you can tank all you want, but ping pong balls are going to decide your fate. The NFL has it where if you're the worst team, deservedly, so you should get the best pick, but it's amazing how that's changed those fan bases into hatred for their teams, hoping that they lose in order to get a good draft pick. Once the season is out of the playoffs are out of reach for your team, that's what it turns to. Let's lose the rest of our game. So we get a better draft pick. And that's what the jets did all season long. It's unfortunate that it had to happen and it might all be for not. There's still time for the Jaguars to win one more game. I mean, there's still time for the Jets to win another game. Hell. So maybe they're not out of the woods yet, but on today, they are not happy campers because their team won a football game. It's just a weird sentence to say. I'm growing a little tired of jet fans. What do you want your team to do? I mean, enough already. All they ever do is bitch. They bitch when they lose. They bitch when they win. They went out. They beat a, they beat a playoff team. They had the Raiders beat. So things even out. They, and, and they gave the way Greg Williams gave the game. Greg Robinson gave the game. Greg Williams, what does the defense coordinator's name? I was going to call it. Is Robinson or Williams? Greg Williams, Williams. right? Yeah, he gave the game away because he's a buffoon. All right? You know, one of the stupidest non-strategical moves we've seen in the history of sports. Uh, you know, instead of just lining eight guys up on the goal line and going to the ball, he has guys going backwards. Ridiculous. But you know, that's a game they gave away. So you should have won one anyway. But, but the point is... These are professional athletes. You expect them to go out and not compete? You want them to be un, you know, non-professional? Or do you want them to go out and do their jobs? You know, it, it, It's embarrassing for them to sit there and go, oh, what worst thing's happened in the history of the franchise? Come on. You, you went out, you competed, you won a game. That's the way the ball bounces. You know, stop being crybabies and move on. You don't need a quarterback anyway. You got a good quarterback. Need a bunch of other stuff. You know, so, so use the second pick in the draft for a bunch of other stuff. Trade down. You know, plain and simple. You can still make some hay. 
you know, this stuff can be changed quickly if you've got a good quarterback and good coaching. They got a good young quarterback. They need to redo their coaching scenario. Adam Gaze is bum. And they need to get a guy in and coach the quarterback up. Because right now, nobody's doing it. They need to keep him healthy, build an offensive line in front of him. You know, instead, you have the poor guy running for his life constantly. And Seeing he's all banged up nonstop. Seeing ghosts. You know, puts, puts an offensive line in front of him, puts some quality players on the outside and behind him, and play the game and stop bitching. Kid can play. He's still only 24 years old. And I don't know that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a superstar. Trevor Lawrence has, looks the part. Now, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first pick in the draft from the time he set foot on the field of Clemson and got the job. He looked the part. Is Trevor Lawrence the best college quarterback I've ever seen? Not even close. He's big. He's tall. He's strong. He's got the locks. He's got a strong arm. Not that accurate. But we saw him wild high in the national title game against LSU. I think he's going to run over the field in the NFL the way he does against Notre Dame? I don't think so. He'll learn real quick. Stay in the pocket. You're not, you're not running over NFL linebackers. Look, you know, Cam Newton got 10 good years in, and his, you know, his time is up. Look what's happened. Washed. He can't, he, he, he can't do it anymore. Washed up? No, but best years behind him. You don't run over NFL defenders. You can run around them as long as your legs can last and, and get out of bounds and get down. But you can't run over them for an extended period of time and have a long, healthy, successful career in the National Football League. There's a reason they do the tackling. They get paid for it. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, and they will hurt you. They can't do it the way they used to because there's still a lot of penalties, but just the constant beating that you will take and that Cam Newton took, and now you see he's a shadow of what he was. Because Cam Newton was Superman for a while. NFL defense has become the kryptonite. Joe Burrow Where's learned that? that. I forget who they and, were and, playing, but he ran right at somebody. Didn't try to slide, didn't try to go out of bounds, and got leveled first couple of weeks of the season. It was like, oh, this ain't college no more, Joe. He got to get out of the way. Notice. Notice. So, you know, and he will learn that quick. But, you know, he's a big, strong kid. I'm sure he's going to be a very good NFL quarterback. But to me, I don't have him as like this super-duper can't miss because, quite frankly, and I loved him as a freshman. But, and I watch a lot of college football, and you're the ACC network guy. But I'm looking at the same quarterback as a thrower that I saw two years ago. I'm watching the same guy. I still see throws that he misses. I still see him be wild high. Uh, I still don't see the ball come out as fast as I would like to see it come out in terms of decision-making and reading defenses. Uh, he actually, however, has gotten better in an area I never thought he would get better. He has been better running the football the last two seasons uh, than I thought he would be. But as I said, that's not going to last long in the National Football League. And that's not why you're drafting the top pick in the draft. He will obviously, could be, we know how important it is to make time in the pocket, to you know, extend the play, to, even if you're not going to run, to be able to avoid contact and give yourself as much time to throw and your receivers to get open, which doesn't take long anyway in the National Football League when they can't touch anybody. But the point is, I'm sure he'll be you know, a really good NFL quarterback, but I just don't see him as that you know, all-timer. He's not a good – as I said to you before, the three best quarterbacks I saw in, in my life ready for the NFL were ironically all guys from Stanford. Jim Plunkett, Heisman Trophy winner. John Elway, and Andrew Luck. Those were the three guys that I saw were the most ready, I thought, to step in and take over an NFL offense as quarterbacks who could stand in the pocket under pressure and throw and use their legs when need be. Uh, obviously, Elway far and away the superior of the three 
in terms of using his legs. Uh, the other two were okay. Uh, Plunkett was pretty athletic as, as a young player. Uh, he got beat up very early on. Luck, of course, was very athletic. We know what happened to him. And Elway was the cowboy. Elway was John Wayne. Um, the things he did, people today have no idea the things he did with his legs to keep plays alive uh, and make plays out of, I mean, he, I mean, he turned straw or gold into straw so many times. John Elway was a magnificent football player. Absolutely magnificent. And most people don't, at this, at this stage of the proceedings, he's a distant memory for a lot of people. Uh, he was brilliant. And nobody knew it better than me because my Browns, which are now my Ravens, took it on the chin from him far too many times. And uh, the number of games that he pulled out for the Broncos in his career when they were dead in the water with miraculous plays uh, were absolutely amazing. Whether they were regular season games, playoff games, he was an incredible, he was an incredible NFL quarterback. And I don't make it sound like your know, old report was a hundred years ago. It wasn't, but you know, it's back when you could, you could knock a guy around. Uh, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, you can't hit the guy here. You can't hit the guy there. Hit him anywhere. Favre was the same way. Favre was the same way. You know, he wasn't as good as Elway. As great as Elway. But Favre was great. Imagine Favre if you couldn't touch him. And Favre's not that long ago. We're not that far removed from Brett Favre. Right. People don't even know who Steve Young is as a player. Well, here's how good Steve Young was as a player. Uh, they traded Joe Montana. So Steve Young could play. Yeah. That's how great Steve Young today would be as good as any player in the NFL, including Patty Mahomes, including Patrick Mahomes. That's how great Steve Young was. Steve Young could run like the wind. He could avoid tacklers. He could break tackles. He had an accurate arm. He was a beautiful thrower. Steve Young could make all the throws. Look who's got the all-time record for uh, touchdown passes in a Super Bowl. And probably yards in a Super Bowl, too. You look at it while we're on the air. I think it's still Steve Young in their Super Bowl win over the Chargers. Steve Young was a all-time great NFL quarterback. John Elway, the reason I'm a Denver Broncos fan, because he beat Brett Favre in the Super Bowl. First That's time really enough. getting into football, turned on that game and decided, wow, these are two amazing quarterbacks. John wins. I go with the Broncos, then for good measure, he wins again the next year. Perfect. I made the best decision in the world to be a Denver Broncos fan at eight, seven years old. I knew exactly what I was doing. There's a little history lesson for everyone probably wondering, how the hell did you grow up in the East Coast to become a Denver Broncos fan? And you need the right system to put a bow on so Trevor now, Lawrence's here, here lifestyle. We are. You need the right system. Here we are with the playoffs really totally up for grabs. Uh, as you look around the NFC, the AFC, Kansas City takes complete control as Pittsburgh continues to fall apart. I told you, I told oh, everybody please, who would listen, please say anybody it. and everybody would listen. They're a fake team. They're a phony team. They're the worst eight no team in the history of the sport. And Big Ben continues to look old, shot. As I said last week about his mobiles, the clock he was named after in London, just this is a team that is falling apart. They can't move. They can't run the ball. They can't seem to throw the ball down the field. And their defense is so banged up, you know, missing linebacker after linebacker. Their pass rush is not nearly as strong as it was. And they can't seem to do anything more than the five-yard, seven-yard, ten-yard throw. Now, will they make a comeback? We'll see. They dance around all the time. Juju Schuster, you know, uh, Enough already. You know, and they get their, it's so much different when they get their heads handed to them. All of a sudden, you hear all the Steeler fans, oh, well, the Dominic can't coach. I've been calling for his. Where were you when they were, when they were 11 and 0? You know, it's amazing. They're not that good. I watched the Ravens beat them like a drum, only to have Lamar Jackson give the game away. The Cowboys had him beat. The hideous Cowboys, if not for the referees. They're a mediocre football team, and it's finally rearing its ugly head. They'll make the playoffs. Uh, they may win the division. 
We'll see. They've got the Colts and the Browns left, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, to uh, win one of them. Uh, the AFC is right now the wild, wild, wild west. We've got a bunch of teams who could wind up at 11-5. and five. Uh, you know, The Ravens have the Giants and the Bengals left. Bengals, no easy pickings after last night. The Steelers have, I believe, the Colts and the Browns. Browns have the Giants. I'm sorry, not the Giants. The, uh, the Browns have the Steelers and the Bengals? No, Jets. The Jets, Jets I believe. The one-win Jets. Getting hot at the right time. The Dolphins have uh, the Raiders and the Bills. The question will be, what will the Bills be playing for um, in the last week of the season? We'll see. Do I think the Dolphins are going to both those games? No, but you never know. They might. Uh, and you know, it's it's conceivable, it's possible that the Ravens could actually go 11-5 and five and not make the playoffs. It's possible. The odds are very, very slim, but it's possible. So you know, we shall see. Uh, bottom line for the Ravens is just win. You beat the Giants, beat the Bengals, go 11-5, and five, and if somebody loses, you know, you're in. Uh, Browns, Steelers, division up for grabs. Uh, Browns will certainly, you know, be shocked if they don't beat the Jets. Uh, and then it could go down to them and the Steelers for the division. We'll see. The Steelers have the tiebreakers. Um, I don't think the Dolphins are that good, but they could go 11-5. and five. I doubt it. Who is the second-best team in the AFC besides the Kansas City Chiefs right now? Colts? Bills? Titans? You tell me this week, John Tiny Lund, who is the flavor of the week in the AFC that is the second best team by the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, none of these names really roll off the tongue to get excited about. I don't know whether or not that's good or bad. I think it's just we're so used to not saying the Bills and the Titans and the Colts. It's conspicuous by their absence. It's been a long time. The Patriots. It's, the Patriots. it's always the Patriots. And the last time it was the Colts, Peyton Manning was the quarterback of said Colts. It's an interesting, interesting question. First of all, it's, I don't want to say surprising because we have been saying that the Steelers were not a flash in the pan. We, but knew, this, smoke we, knew, and this we knew this was coming. We knew this was coming. We knew this was coming. We said it was coming. We said it was just a question of time. Come hella high waters, the defense continued to get more and more banged up, and seemingly they couldn't throw the ball more than eight yards down the field and continued to throw the ball 50 times a game and have absolutely no running game of import. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, Benny, don't call me Matt Snell or you know, James Bull Connor, whatever the case may be, they don't seem to want to run the ball. They don't seem to want to try to run it for any extended period of time. Then you mix in the fact that when Big Ben throws it, he's now throwing it to the other team, and that is a very bad combination. Very bad combination, because your defense on the field far too long. And as good as the defense is, as banged up as they are, they're getting worn out, short fields, and that doesn't bode well for the Steelers for the rest of the season and however long they're going to be in the playoffs. I don't think the ship can be right. No, it, I it think doesn't they're look one like and done all. in the playoffs. doesn't look like it all. I, I wish you were on TikTok though, to actually see the Juju Smith Schuster videos on TikTok and not being played during the game. So maybe we'll first, we'll start with Twitter and maybe we can get you on TikTok as for the new year. Our, the new year's gift. Juju beat Schuster needs to spend a little less time dancing and a little more time catching the football with his head up instead of getting blasted, okay, uh, and fumbling the football in a big play early in the game. I will pick for this week. I'll still go with the Buffalo Bills. I think once the season ends and should those teams stay on their same paths, I would probably have to favor the Titans just because of how strong their running game is. You could take over an entire game with Derrick Henry running the football. And in the postseason, we've seen teams do this. 
run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. It's a 17, 14 game, but you win and move on. Josh Allen, you would think would have more of a possibility to not have a great game. His back and forth with Stefan Diggs is unbelievable. Stefan Diggs getting 13 receptions and 150 yards a game. It seems every week he's killing teams. Put I a body be on the first guy. to say that when they traded a boatload for Diggs, I was like, wait a second, you're giving up all that. Why don't you just draft one? Now in, in the meantime, the Vikings got themselves a very good receiver in the draft. And Jefferson's had an excellent rookie year. But, and he won't get any in all probability. But, you know, you could, if you wanted to, like, go out on a limb, you could cast an MVP vote for Dix. He's been that brilliant and made that much of a difference for them this year. He has had a tremendous season. Absolutely tremendous, and all kinds of all kinds of ways. Underneath, deep, run after the catch, acrobatic catches. He's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant this year for the Buffalo Bills. One thing that interests me. Well, it'll interest me first to make sure they make the playoffs. This being the Miami Dolphins. One thing that interests me is if they actually go through with having Tua as their quarterback, if they make the playoffs. Now I know that they've publicly said he's our guy. He's our quarterback. And obviously they hope he'll be for the next 10 or 15 years to me, to this point, he's, he's had flashes, but overall he's been eh, not a bad. eh, eh. Do you really want that in a playoff game though? And conversely, can you trust a guy like Fitzmagic being the starter? Because with his magic also comes the exact opposite, where he'll have games similar to Phillip Rivers with two minutes left in the game. Throwing interceptions left and right, you don't know what happened. Or he'll go out and throw for four touchdowns and 400 yards. What Ryan Fitzpatrick are you going to get is the question. They're going to have a decision to make. Who are they going to go over? Maybe it'll depend on who they play if they make the postseason. I think it's the kid. You think it's Tua? Absolutely. If they make the playoffs, which is not going to be easy, as is, all right, as they currently are structured, which means your Tua is the starter. If that's the way they get to the playoffs, then Tua is going to be the starting quarterback in the playoffs. If for some reason things go awry and they need to go to Fitzmagic to get into the playoffs, then that would be your quarterback controversy. But I, I think it's Tua if they make it. And, you know, th- then they could always make it. You know, if the kid's cold, they can always go to you know, the veteran during the uh, during the playoffs. Quick trigger, um, like in baseball, if he exactly, doesn't have it. Exactly. Plenty of years left. You're having a bad day. You know, it's not like you're, you're a quarterback in the future. You, we know that already. So, you know, go to Fitzmagic as a super sub. Um, I think if they make the playoffs, he's absolutely their starter. But I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. That's number one. Uh, number two, the thing that really struck me is he was the guy everybody wanted. The question was, do we want to take him when – He's there because of the injury. Is he too much of a risk? And we've only seen you know, dribs and drabs of him. And we've only seen dribs and drabs of the other guy. But ironically, right now, when I've watched the two play, and I'm sure, look, you know, Tua has a very high ceiling. And maybe the other guy doesn't. But watching them both in their rookie years, Hertz looks like a quarterback who is much more ready to play yeah, and much more comfortable uh, in an NFL game than Tua. Tua still looks like he's scrambling uh, and, and trying to make stuff happen like he's at Alabama. Hurts, ironically, who was the guy supposedly the, the 
inferior thrower of the two from a dropback standpoint looks to me to be the guy who is more comfortable throwing the football, uh, not afraid to tuck it under and go, but also looks like he's more able to avoid contact, more able to find a way to stay out of harm's way, almost in a Russell Wilson-esque way. Um, it's very early, of course, but I've been very impressed with him so far. And I'm, cause I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him. I didn't know if it was a good pick. I still don't know if it's a good pick in the second round, but so far I thought he's played very well and I'm happy for him because, uh, I love the way he handled the situation in Alabama, uh, with a lot of class. And then obviously got himself to Oklahoma and had a terrific season there. And, um, I like the way he's played so far. I think he's looked very comfortable as an NFL quarterback. And I'm I'm surprised. I thought it would take longer. Yeah, he's been electric. If if it happened at all. Yeah. If it happened at all. He's been electric. He's much further along than I thought he would be. Uh, Certainly now, if maybe ever. You can understand why Carson Wentz potentially wants to get out of Dodge after seeing him play a couple games, like, oh, shit, I might not be getting my job back. See ya. I don't know what they're going to do. They got so much money invested in him. It's going to be very interesting to see what they're going to do because, you know, he has struggled mightily. We've seen what's happened to him injury-wise, and when he's healthy, he's been a turnover machine. I like him as a player. I just think he has gotten into a trap of, I think, trying to do too much trying to make things happen when they're not there. Think if he's more patient. Think if it was more under control, I think he's put too much pressure on himself and uh, it's resulted in him being very turnover prone. And as we said so many times in the national football league, you simply cannot turn the ball over and win. You can't uh, Patrick Mahomes has gotten away with it the last few weeks, but he better be careful because no matter how great a player you are, if you continue to turn it over and be sloppy with the football, give the other team shorter fields and keep your defense on the field too long, the end result will be sooner or later, you're going to lose again. As great as Mahomes is, that's what he's done the last couple of weeks, and they've gotten away with it. They got away with it against an inferior opponent, and then they got away with it against a pretty good team with you know Drew Brees still not in his comfort zone, uh, although he looked better in the stretch drive of that game that he certainly looked at you know, the first half where he was lost, but he had been out there for quite a while. So got to cut him some slack. He looked much better in the second half, but I still don't think New Orleans is a championship team. Uh, I still like green Bay over there, but the NFC is totally up for grabs, totally up for grabs. Every time you like green Bay, they go out and they put up a stink, whether it's at home or on the road, no matter how well, sometimes no matter how well Rogers plays, the defense looks like you can't stop a strong win. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen what Green Bay is. I, I think they're the best team in the NFC, but it's not by a very, very wide margin. It's by him, really. It's by him because I think he's the superior player in the conference. We've got a Lakers game to watch. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, everybody have an incredible Christmas. Till next we meet for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund. I am El Renato, AKL from White Plains. Merry Christmas. Have a great and safe sports holiday week, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well, or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.